coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Now, this is what we will do for you. And we do this on purpose because, I mean, I'll be honest with you, a bunch of dudes in a grocery store that's like herding cats. And so we just take your grocery list prior to you getting here. Uh, and I got two wonderful lodge handlers on staff and they do the grocery shopping uh, a day prior to you guys getting here. They'll take care of the grocery shopping and we'll have the groceries staged for you uh, when you get here so you don't have to do any shopping. That was Justin Essien sharing one great feature of their DIY Alaska fly fishing service. I know you love Alaska as much as I do, so let's find out how to put this one all together. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. I hope you are doing well today. If you haven't checked out the Destination Angler podcast, it's time to do it right now. Steve is putting together a great show over there at the Destination Angler and he, I know he's ventured up to Alaska at least uh, at least one time on his show, so you could uh, check out that episode and follow it up a little further. So take a look right now. I want you to check out the Destination Angler podcast. You can subscribe and get notified for their next episode when that one drops. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry this year. Bear Vault provides a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Proper food storage is one of the keys to an epic backcountry trip. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash bearvault and check out this must-have solution right now. That's Bear Vault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. Check it out right now. Fairflies creates ethically sourced premium fly tying materials with their 5D brushes. You simply tie better flies. 5D brushes contain the perfect proportioned materials to tie amazing streamers, bass flies, saltwater flies, and pretty much anything that's bigger than a, than a small little dry fly. You can use the Fairflies brushes. They have also created an intentional supply chain so you can change the world with every fly you tie. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash fairflies to check it out right now. That's fairflies, F-A-I-R-F-L-I-E-S. Justin Essien brings us up to Alaska and helps us lay out a plan for a full DIY wilderness float trip. He breaks it all down today. We find out what fish species, which salmon, which trout, everything. He, he goes in deep. We get the details on the length of the trip, the best canyon trip, and... Uh, and which can you should be checking out. There's a bunch of different uh, areas and places, obviously. Uh, we also dig into uh, whether hunting is an option. Is that actually doable? Can you hunt and fish while you're going down there? And uh, and also we, we find out where, uh, where we're starting this trip, even though it's in a damp town. Uh, he gives us a couple of tips there. If you love a remote adventure on your own, you definitely have to stay tuned for this one. So without further ado, here he is, Justin Essien from pbadventures.com. How's it going, Justin? Hey, it's going fantastic, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is good. We're uh, we're digging in today to a little bit of the DIY Alaska thing, and you you help people get out there and do these amazing remote trips. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, go deep on putting together a trip from uh, from square one. But before we get there, talk about how you first got into uh, you know fishing, fly fishing, Alaska, and that whole story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know. I really did not grow up as a uh, an angler or an outdoorsman. My parents were both from uh, Detroit, Michigan, 
And uh, we moved up north. And, I, you know, I just didn't grow up with that background. Uh, once I started making some friends, you know, I had a lot of farmer friends that had a lot of property. And, and that's when I really started getting into the fishing and the hunting scene. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and so, you know, continue to do it. I graduated in, uh, 2009 with the aviation degree with all intent of going to the airlines and, uh, you know, they weren't hiring because of recession They're 08 and 09. So, uh, I told myself, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of fun before I start my real life. And so, uh, started calling up outfitters. I call it Papa Bear Adventures, the old, uh, owner, Steve Powers, you know, I bugged him until he finally gave me a job and uh, came up here for summer as a dockhand. And I was just absolutely hooked with the lifestyle, the fishing, the remoteness. Uh, and, you know, never left. It's 12 years later now. Uh, and, uh, you know, got a lot of good experiences under my belt. Uh, and uh, just uh, the whole fishing scene and hunting scene is, uh, I can't even like put words and describe exactly how it is. It's just, it's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. So you've, and I've heard that story before. We've had a few people, uh, one recently, we actually had Ray, uh, Ray Troll on an artist who's up in Ketchikan. And he said the same thing. He kind of came up there to work on doing some fit, you know, fishing stuff. And he just, you know, he couldn't leave. And, uh, and I've been up there a few times and it is amazing, right? I mean, that's Alaska. It's the remoteness and, and we'll probably dig into some of that, what makes the, these trips so amazing. Uh, the aviation is also interesting. So you came up there for the aviation, and we had a, a guest on a while back, uh, the Line Speed Jedi, who told the story about flying planes up there. Um, but talk about that. So what, what, the, what does that look like, an aviation degree? How, how do you just quickly take us down that road? Were you in the military? How do you come to be in, in that kind of field? Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I laugh every time someone asks me that question because really, in all honesty, an aviation degree is a big joke. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, the deal is, is that anyone can go get their pilot's license. The only thing I guess my aviation degree gives me is that I went to accredited school. Uh, it's called a 141 school, and they're a little bit more stringent on their testing than what's called a Part 91 school. So I guess if I was going to go to the airlines, it would look good if I had an aviation degree. But what do I have to fall back you know, if I get <laughs> blind or something like that? Uh, so uh, anyways, aviation degree, you, you don't need it is what I'm trying to say to become a pilot. Huh. Uh, and, and up in Alaska, I, I had no intentions of coming up here at all. It was uh, you know, going to be the airlines all the way. That was my dream as a oh. kid, the, the big airlines, uh, the pilots and uniform. And when I came to Alaska, here's the awesome part. The aviation, first of all, when you go on an airliner, you're going from point A to point B, you're going to vacation, you're going to visit your family, you're going to do, you know, every once in a while, you get on a big airliner to go fishing, I guess. But in Alaska, it's your pickup truck, right? Your airplane, all it is, is your vehicle that you use to get to point A to point B, to go have fun. So you take your pickup truck to go camping. Well, in Alaska, yep. you take your airplane to go camping. You take it to go <laughs> fishing. Uh, and so when I can combine the three things that I love to do most in this world, you know, personally as a hobby, fishing, hunting, and flying, uh, when I get to combine those three things, man, I'm in hog heaven. And that's just what makes Alaska so special. And if you have an airplane, 
you know, you can have a snow machine, you can have a boat. That's awesome. But if yep. you airplane, you can unlock some unbelievable potential that the state of Alaska has to offer and no one else or barely anyone else can experience it. So when I go fishing, there is no one. If you try to go fishing down in uh, Anchorage area, like when the silvers are running or, or yeah. any of the other down are running, you are literally shoulder to shoulder and they call it combat fishing. I'm sure you heard oh, of yeah. it. Yep. I went twice. I lived in the valley, which is right next to Anchorage for seven years. And I went fishing twice because it was so miserable. Um, and so being out here, you got the whole lake to yourself. You got the whole section of the river to yourself. It is so amazing. That is cool. That's the joke is I always think of the Alaska thing. They say like in Anchorage, you know, if you want to visit Alaska, you know, don't go to Anchorage, right? Because it's kind of, that's the one place where there are some people and, and you have those, yeah, the salmon runs right in the city, right? That's kind of what you're talking about. These salmon runs are coming right through like downtown, right? Absolutely that. And then, you know, everyone talks about the Kenai and the Kenai is a great river and it's got great fishing on it, you know, but you go down that river and you see hundreds of people. Yeah. That's why this is a great, and that's a great segue to what we're doing today, you know, talking about uh, really the extreme, because I mean, when I talk DIY, you know, obviously there's tons of Alaska, there's tons of lodges, there's places, you know, I'm sure you're flying all over the place, dropping people off, but this remote thing where you go up and, you know, you drop off and it's just you and your friends and you're in the middle of Alaska, you know, and you're on your own. I, that's kind of the picture that I want to paint today. And that's something, is that what you guys, is that kind of in your bread and butter? Is that what you focus on? Yeah, absolutely. And so much so we want to give, you know, people who come up and want to do this, we want to give them a great experience or the best experience that we can. Now, there's other operators in the area, so I can't guarantee that you're not going to see someone else. But the way that we structure our schedule and the way that we structure uh, the drop-offs is that there's never going to be a same-day drop-off, okay? So you're never going to have someone from Papa Bear dropped off on you on the same day. And we do that on purpose, mm -hmm. people that feeling, that remote feeling, in, and that, uh, you know, feeling that they're longing for, that they want for when they come up to Alaska. Gotcha. So that's it. Well, let, let's start there with just, um, you know, we're going to dig into a lot in, in here today, but just on the, the trip planning, let's just start right at the top here. What is the first thing? What do you recommend? Somebody wants to do a trip, you know, obviously there's different runs, there's timing, all of this. Where do you start somebody? Where, do they just go to your website and fill out a form or how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, generally speaking, I, I'm, I think the way that most people will do it is they'll kind of come on the or on the website, they'll browse it over and then they'll go ahead and uh, do a contact us or they'll give me a call. And some people have either a done a trip like this before, so they know what they want or B, you know, if it's someone who's never done it before, they're going to call me up and they're going to say, you know, I don't really know what I want to do. And they'll say, I was kind of interested in this river and they'll absolutely butcher the name of the river, <laughs> which I'm not going to all hard to say. Um, yeah. but generally speaking, uh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to say, well, look, let me ask you a few questions. You know, uh, how many people are in your group? Hey, and Justin, let's do this just as a case study, you know, example to make this fun. So let's just ask you the question. So how many in the group? Let's say there's four of us. Okay. Uh, okay. So you got a four man group. Okay. So, uh, with the four man group, I know that you're going to be able to access all the rivers. Uh, cause with a larger group, I'm not going to put you on, 
um, a smaller river, uh, and let's say, you know, a group over 10, I'm not going to put you on the Aralic river because it's a small river. And even though this is what we do, we want to make, you know, a living, we want to make some money at the same time, we still have to care about, uh, you know, the river, the ecosystem resources. Exactly, because if, if we overwork it, overfish it, well, then no one's going to have anything. And so I guess that's what I'm going off of uh, numbers. I want to know. And so four to eight. So you want to have essentially less than 10, but probably between four to eight, you can, you can take us into anywhere, anywhere you yeah, want to go. 100%. Four to eight people, you can hit up any river. Yes, sir. Okay. And and so that, let's just stick with the four, say four or five people. And then what what's the next step? Walk us through this. Yeah, absolutely. So the next step would be is, you know, what type of fish do you want to target? If you want to target kings, you got to go early season. If you want to target silvers, you go late season. If you want to target, uh, you know, uh, rainbows, dollies, or grayling, I mean, I'll be honest with you, they hit good all summer long. What if we want to target, you know, kind of as many as possible with, you know what I mean? What would you say? Somebody says, I want to target as many as possible. And then maybe even... I don't even know if you guys do this, but maybe is there any opportunity to do some hunting as well? So let's answer the first question. So if yeah. you want to target, <laughs> if you want to target as many fish as possible, probably that third week in July, uh, you're going to totally miss. You're going to miss uh, silvers, but with that third week in July, you're going to have sockeyes, you're going to have kings, you're going to have chums, you're going to have uh, grayling, rainbow, dolly, and then you might have pinks in there as well, depending upon. Uh, if it's an even or odd year run. Uh, so I would say probably third week of July is going to be a really good, uh, you know, timing to hit all those fish. But, uh, you know, most people want to go after the silver. Our August is completely, absolutely booked every single year because that's what people want to do is they want those silvers. And they want the silvers because, I mean, obviously I know they're active, but you also have the rainbows. Don't people want to get into the, the, the big rainbows or the mousing, that sort of stuff? Yeah, so uh, early season mousing is really good because those fish are extremely hungry because uh, they haven't had a lot of salmon eggs yet. But late season uh, rainbow fishing is a lot, you know, very appealing to a lot of people because the fish are huge at that point because they've just been absolutely gorging on eggs, uh, you know, for the yep. past month, month and a half. So you get the double whammy with uh, August. You get big silvers uh, in, uh, big rainbows. So, okay. So you get both. So it might be either that third week of July or even August. So let's just say, let's just say we're going for that, uh, that July, say that, see the third week in July. So what would be the next step once you got that? And then we're talking DIY. Are we talking about setting up a trip literally where you're going to be kind of dropping us off? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So, I mean, do it yourself. We're, we got the rental. want to make sure that, when you're out on the river, you're an extension of Papa Bear Adventures. Even though you're not an employee of Papa Bear Adventures, you're still an extension. So anything you do that's foolish or dumb on the river is going to directly reflect on us because everyone around here knows that we drop off the most fishermen. They know what our rafts look like. They know what our tents look like. And so there's no hiding anything. So if one of our guys goes and leaves a bunch of garbage you know, on a uh, sandbar, uh, and some people find it, they're going to know exactly who to blame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so before we send people off on a trip, we'll go over, you know, the river etiquette. We'll go over GPS waypoints, good places to camp, good places to fish. Uh, and, 
uh, go over the regs, make sure everyone's got fishing licenses and stuff like that. There you go. So we got the, so we got the timing, the, uh, you're going to review things and, and, yep. and how do you decide, how do you decide, you know, with all the rivers and you got a plane, you can go anywhere, you know, how does the person decide where, where to go fishing, like which river? Yep. So that's the next step is I'm going to ask you, what type of experience do you want? Do you want a long river? Do you want a short river? Do you want a scenic river? Do you want, it's whatever you want. So they tell me, look, I want to, I want to see moose. You know, I want to have really good camping and I still want to have good fishing, but sometimes a person's main focus is not fishing. Yeah. Fishing is like that secondary thing with the uh, picture taking, seeing wildlife, seeing. Yeah, no, that, that that's awesome. I think that's a, that's a great point. I think that we've, and I've talked about that is like, oh, what, what do you want? But I think what it would be is definitely the fishing would be number one. Like we want to catch fish, but also we don't want to do a trip so long that we're floating most of the time and we're doing a little bit of fishing. So it'd be not too short, you know, not too short, not too long, but we'd love to see some wildlife. Obviously you'd love to see, you know, some of the bears, like all that, right. The, you know, who knows? So, but I don't know, I guess it would be more fishing would be the priority. So what would you say to that? Okay. Well, perfect. Well then here would be the next thing is <laughs> what's your physical shape? <laughs> Yeah. And we're, we're good to go. Like literally we, we were the ones again, well, and we're taking this example just cause I, I, I love the, the case study here, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, hundred percent, let's throw it in we're, we're, we jumped into uh, we could go into a remote Canyon. We're good on the oars. We're, we're, you know, all that. Okay, perfect. Well then you want to go in the Kizarolic river. Okay. So the Kizarolic does not get hit as hard. And the reason why it doesn't is because, uh, it, there's a little bit more physical labor in there. So, uh, there's a, uh, upper falls and the upper falls consists of two waterfalls and each drop is somewhere between, I'd say eight to 10 feet. Uh, but you can't port or you can't, uh, uh, ride these falls. You got to portage them. Okay. So that's where the physical part comes yep. in. It's going to take you a half a day, uh, to portage. Uh, you know, uh, you line your raft, but you got to take everything out of your raft. Cause if your raft flips, you don't all your stuff, you know, so everything's got to come out of the raft. You got to portage it, uh, about 150, 200 yards. So, I mean, it, it takes, you know, a, quite a bit of time to be able to do that and you got to be in good shape. Uh, you don't want to get yourself hurt either. Some of the rocks are slippery. So, right. uh, as soon as you do that, you're home free. That's where the good fishing starts below the falls. Uh, and there is uh, one or two sections of class three. And then after that, it's a pretty straightforward river. The only thing you got to worry about that is pretty much uh, sweepers. Sweepers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And what are typically uh, days? Why? I mean, does this vary or is it always usually about a week? Yep. So uh, it varies. Most people will stay under the 10 day mark because it can kind of start getting pricey with rental gear. But uh, generally speaking with the Kizarolic, it's a hundred mile river. Uh, so you want to be at a bare minimum of seven days and we recommend at least eight, if not nine, you always plan for a weather day on the front end or at least one. Um, and so at a bare minimum eight and then nine or 10 is better because, you know, I mean, some people it's tough breaking camp down every single day and putting yeah. it up. It, you know, it, by the fifth day, fourth day, you're kind of like, Oh my gosh, not again. You start yep. dreading. Um, so it's nice to pull a long day and then reward yourself with a two day camp spot, you know, something in some nice braids. Yep. 
So that's what you get with the 10 days, nine, 10 days, you get a, an extra over a, a two, you know, stay at one place for two nights. And then you could, and I guess you could probably pick a shorter river than the Kizarolk and maybe do get two nights over staying, right? That sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You could do the Good News River. The Good News River is 65 river miles. Um, so that's completely acceptable to do something like that on the Good News. Uh, and with you being, like you said, four, whatever, four or five man group, you could also do the Aralic. The Aralic is 45 river miles. Uh, and the Aralic is super famous for just having fantastic early season rainbow uh, fishing. And so a lot of people do choose that river for that exact reason. What's early season? Is that like springtime or is that July? So believe it or not, I mean, these, uh, headwaters, these lakes where we drop people off to start the float, they don't even thaw out until third week of June or sorry. All right. They'll thaw out. Uh, my, my apologies. The keys Lake is the only one who stays out the third week of June, but, uh, generally speaking about June 1st, they don't even thaw out. And then at that point, everything is still, you know, super high water, uh, still murky. So we'll say third week, second week to third week of June is generally speaking when we'll send our first trip. Okay. Yeah. So you're in June, you're mid June then. And then the Kizarolk. So you got the good news is 65. The Aralik is 45. How long is the Kizarolik? Kizarolik is a hundred river miles. Oh, a hundred. Yeah. And are these all trips to the, uh, the, the Kuskokwim? Uh, not all of them. So, um, the Kweethluk River and the Kizarolik River both dump out into the Kuskokwim. The uh, Konektok River, the Aralik River will dump out into the Kuskokwim Bay. So basically almost pra- practical ocean for, for uh, all practical purposes. And then the Good News River will dump out into Good News Bay and then Good News Bay dumps out into the Bering Sea. Oh wow, nice. So there you go. And and so we got a few obviously there's there's some options here length depending it seems like maybe if we just stick middle um you know the 65 is kind of the 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 medium size and you would say if you had 10 days or maybe even a little longer that would give you a couple of nights of staying right over uh, staying at one place for a couple of nights. Yes, that is correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. All right, so what else what else should we know here uh on this trip planning, I mean, I guess you got the whole thing of getting to Alaska. Do you just fly into Anchorage and then do you pick folks up there and then fly out or how does that look? Nope. That's a good question. And it, we do get asked that quite often. So you just fly commercially straight to Bethel all on Alaska airlines. It's seamless. It works out great. Uh, Alaska airlines has great service. Bethel is a big airport. Uh, the approach minimums get you down real low. So even if the weather's pretty bum, uh, Alaska airlines is, pretty dang reliable for, uh, you know, what you would consider, I guess, a bush village or a bush city. Yeah. Alaska is great. So that's, so you got Alaska air, so you fly right into Bethel and, uh, well, let, let's get the, the important stuff out of the way. So Bethel, we talked about this just kind of as we were getting going, but Bethel is a, uh, is a damp town. So there, you can't buy alcohol. So, so for people that want to partake in some, uh, some uh, drinking consumption of like uh, beer, what do you recommend? Uh, so there is a company called Gold Rush Liquor, and basically what you'll do is they call it a bush order. You'll call up Gold Rush, and you'll tell them what you want. You send them a picture of your license. You pay for it. They ship it out on one of the local carriers, and then we'll go pick it up for you. And it's pretty, it's pretty seamless. Everything is, I guess, what I would just consider turnkey when you come here. We got all the logistics down to a T. Yeah. Uh, 
So it's no one's got to do any work. We tell you exactly what you got to do. If you listen to us, it's a piece of cake. That's it. Wow. So you line it all out. So basically, like we're having here, we're kind of doing that conversation, right? I'd be picking your brain on the phone, asking you about yeah. this stuff. And then and then you're going to send me over for more information. Do you, do you yeah. kind of have some resources on your website, that sort of thing? Uh, I don't have anything on the website as far as uh, ordering the alcohol. But basically, once I talk to you on the phone and we get something in the books, uh, I have a little PDF that I'd send you that I got from Gold Rush Liquor. And it'll tell you exactly what you need to do to get it done. With over 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. Roasted by anglers for anglers, Joe at Anglers has got this going. He's got the uh, sustainability. He's got the amazing coffee. He's got the fishing, the artwork. He's supporting casting for recovery. Uh, when you purchase this coffee, you know you are definitely doing your part. I'm taking a look right now at the uh, the brook. You can hear that my uh, my brookie roast, uh, but it uh, it it's got a little bit of the art. Uh, we'll put a link to that artwork in the show notes. Uh, the brook trout from Derek DeYoung, who we also had on the podcast. And like I said, you can support casting for recovery when you support Joe. I'm always checking out a new blend. Joe's got all sorts of good stuff going there. He's got the dry dropper now on the go, this roast sampler, which pretty much as long as you have hot water, you can drop this in and, and get it. That's always good on a uh, on a early morning, right? When you're waiting for uh, the sun to rise, drop a little coffee and, and have some anglers while you're waiting. You can check them out right now, wetflyswing.com slash anglers to grab a great cup of greatness right now. That's Anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S. Make a change today. Check out Anglers. So let's keep us going down this track. Um, so we're flying into Bethel. We're going to meet up with you there, grab on a plane. And, and what is this plane? This is your typical, describe the plane we're jumping in. And then as we're describing that, talk about how much gear somebody can bring on this. Is there a limit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so. We got two de Havilland Beavers. They're both, one's 1958, one's 1959. Don't let the age scare you. Uh, like a bottle of wine, they get uh, better with age. So we take good care <laughs> of them. They got a rigorous maintenance schedule that they go through. Uh, and, uh, you know, they got brand new engines on them, all that jazz. So they're a great airplane. They're all on floats. The Beaver's very unique because it was actually designed specifically for the bush. And that's why you only see beavers in Alaska or Canada. Every once in a while, you see them somewhere else. But uh, they're exclusively huh. Canada and Alaska because guess what? They do bush operations amazing. That's what they were meant for. That's what they're built for. And, uh, you know, with that fishing group, you got I can fit up to four people uh, in the beaver. And then you can take 1200 pounds. And if you have, uh, something you want to strap on the outside of the airplane, like a canoe or some lumber, that's no big deal. We can do that too. Wow. So you can even put a boat on there and this includes typically you guys are doing the rafts. So is that what the, the gear is looking like that you're floating down in? Uh, yeah. So we got, uh, the Otter series, NRS Otter series. I think it's the 142. It's a 14 foot self baler. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, 14 foot long, six and a half foot wide, uh, comfortably fits two people and you can fit three people in there if you want to. So we rent that for a daily rental of $115 a day. And that comes with, uh, you know, a couple pumps, a spare oar, life vest, uh, rowing frame, all that jazz. Got it all. 
What is a, when you think about all this gear, and I know we're not going to be able to touch on everything today, but um, as far as the gear, it sounds like you guys have it all, but is there anything that we would send or somebody doing this would send ahead of time to get there? Or do they just bring your flyer, you know, your gear, like just hop off the Alaska Airlines, you've got everything there? No, that's a great question. Um, groceries, everything in Bethel is three times more expensive than it would be in the lower 48. So we encourage people to buy dry goods or canned goods if you can get free shipping and just have it shipped directly to us. We have a Connex uh, with a whole bunch of shelves that we store all of our clients' packages in. Uh, we keep track of them, write the names down. And uh, when they get here, we have all the boxes laying out, staged for them, ready to go. So we highly encourage that. Um, however, we don't want people sending us stuff until about June 1st because, uh, you know, usually we're still snowed in or iced in mm. and the facilities aren't quite open yet. There you go. Okay, that's that's another awesome feature to be able to send whatever. Yeah, so if you want some specific whatever gourmet meals that you're going to be making, um, and, and that's it. I mean, essentially the food, you, you guys aren't producing or setting up the camp meals. That's something that we have to set up. That is correct. That's not included in the price. You guys got to take care of the groceries. Now, this is what we will do for you, and we do this on purpose because – I mean, I'll be honest with you, a bunch of dudes in a grocery store that's like herding cats. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we just take your grocery list prior to you getting here. Uh, and I got two wonderful lodge handlers on staff and they do the grocery shopping uh, a day prior to you guys getting here. They'll take care of the grocery shopping and we'll have the groceries staged for you uh, when you get here. So you don't have to do any shopping. No kidding. That's pretty yeah. awesome. So don't even have to worry about shopping. That's really cool our advantage because like i said yeah. if we put all these guys in the grocery store we'd never we'd, we'd you know be behind the whole day <laughs> yeah exactly right right what um you know when people are again going up there you, you know you guys are doing these trips you've been doing them for a while now what is something that kind of um you know maybe we're not thinking about or somebody that hadn't thought about that that led to trouble out there i mean i'm sure you've got some examples of some situations anything to be any examples there or stories yeah, I mean, uh, don't camp on a shallow island if it's raining. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, we've had a couple. Uh, we've had one group who uh, we had a pretty good rainstorm come through, and they camped on an island, and they woke up in the yeah. middle of the night, and their rafts were gone, and their tents, oh. Lapped, oh, the river's lapping at the edge of their tent. And so they're freaking out. They called the Coast Guard, uh, you know, for help and the coast guard's like well you know where are you and they're like you, you you should probably call someone else so they called us which i wish they would have called us first so we flew out there uh pinpointed their rafts drew them a mickey mouse disneyland map of where their raft was located flew over dropped it to them and uh <laughs> at the same exact time there was another group coming down they flagged them down hopped on their boat they took them right to their uh boats just using my little uh hand-drawn map it worked out perfect <laughs> There you go. So that that's the moral. Yeah. What is the moral? Moral of the story is don't camp on islands. <laughs> yeah. Don't camp on islands. So, and also the moral is it sounds like you guys have um, some sort of a, like a satellite phone. Is that what, does everybody have that on board? Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. So that, here's the other thing is that, that will tell each uh, prospective client, you know, uh, we require a satellite communication device, whether that be an in-reach, a spot or a sat phone. And so we do offer sat phones for rental uh, $15 a day, uh, but we do require it because it's a safety thing. We don't want people getting hurt and we don't want 
to be responsible for someone getting hurt and they can't get help. Yep. Yep. No, it's huge. I think that's, I think everybody in this day and age, I mean, it's cheap enough. You know, I mean, that's nothing for the potential if you, if you get into some situation. Um, the, uh, so in the accidents, again, these are just some, you know, kind of things people probably bring up about, you know, always accidents and worried about bears and bugs and stuff. But um, the planes, so how how safe are these planes? Are there accidents out there at all with these bush planes? Because we had a story a while back when we were talking about Alaska, and I think there's a presumption that people flying up here just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. These pilots are just kind of crazy. But what's your take on it? Um. It's called aeronautical decision making. Okay. And this is where you put a responsible person in the seat of an airplane. And if they come up to a wall of fog, instead of trying to fly through the fog, they turn around and they come back to base. Okay. So it's just being a responsible person using common sense. Um, you know, there are unfortunately people who make bad decisions. And People who make good decisions still make bad decisions and learn from mistakes. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And so oftentimes, or, or pretty much, I almost say 100%, uh, I can't say 100%, I guess, but 99% of these accidents that happen in Alaska really solely come down to aeronautical decision-making and doing the right thing at the right time and not feeling that pressure. It's A lot of it's experience, too. Uh, you know, yeah. if you have someone from the lower 48 who has no experience in Alaska and then you dump them in this environment where the weather changes at the snap of a finger, you know, you can't expect much to come out of a situation like that. Yeah. How would you how would somebody it sounds like occasionally, obviously, and, and I always make it the, the comparison between myself. I run a drift boat through whitewater and I always feel like, you know, I'm good to go. But obviously that, that, um, you know, accidents could happen like anything, but that, you know, the pilots are making the right uh, decisions. How would somebody, if they weren't going up with you guys, how would they vet a pilot just to make them feel good that whoever they're going with is good to go? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing you want to do is you want to just do a Google search on on the airline or the company, because nowadays you can't hide anything. There's going to be videos, there's going to be reports, there's going to be articles, and so, you know, if you're going to fly with an operator in Alaska, do some research on them. And, you know, usually patterns develop, right? So uh, every once in a while, something bad happens to a good company. And it is what it is because just, you know, bad things happen, I guess. Mistakes happen. Uh, but, you know, if there's an operator that has a history and there's a repetition there, then, you know, maybe you might want to think twice about using that operator. Um, as far as pilots go, you know, people can tell uh, an attitude from any person, you know, a machoism attitude or a humble attitude or a respectful attitude. Yeah. And, you know, and as long as your pilots has these attributes uh, and you can sense that, Generally speaking, they're probably going to be, uh, you know, good at making those decisions that they need to make. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's, I guess, how I would do it is just looking at a, a, a pilot's individual demeanor and how they're acting uh, and kind of go from there. That's great. That's a great answer. When, you know, again, keeping on the important things here. So we covered that. Uh, so what about um, fish? Are people actually going up there and you know, killing a bunch of salmon, loading up their coolers and sending them home? Uh, you know, generally speaking, it's not going to work 
good that way. And the only reason I say that is because we don't have a way to freeze your fish. We don't have a way to package your fish. I mean, you could always, I guess, bring your own cooler and put them on ice. But after a 10 day trip and you're, you know, blown out from setting camp up and generally speaking, it's funny because people go out with all intent of bringing back fish. And then when they get back, they have no fish or when they get back, they have some fish and then they just say, Hey, we brought some fish back. Do you want it? (laughs) Right. And are they eating fish on the trip as you're floating down? Can you just get a, you know, a a salmon or coho and just eat it? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, the keys rock and queef look, the Kings are closed. So you can't catch target or eat any Kings out there. Uh, but off the Rollick, uh, connect talking good news. You can, uh, as of right now, and there's no emergency order, but you can keep Kings and eat them. Of course, the silvers are all good. Last year, there was actually a closure on chums, uh, which most people are not eating chums, obviously yeah. still, yeah. uh, just gotta be, I guess, aware. Cause you can't be there. The game wardens are on the rivers. I'll tell you that much. The game wardens are on the yeah. rivers. Don't think that you're out in the middle of nowhere and you can do whatever you want. Yep. Yep. Perfect. So that's it. So I got to add something else in there. If you, if I hear that you ate a rainbow, we're going to have problems. (laughs) Oh, right. No rainbows. No rainbows. (laughs) No, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't want to mess with them. That's the, uh, yeah, because the rainbows are living, the, the salmon, the different, well, I guess they're, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. And obviously you've heard some stuff about the runs, which is a whole other story we won't dig in today, but you hear these stories about how some Alaska runs are kind of kind of up and down, right? And it's kind of scary to think that Alaska, the place, you know, that there might be some some issues from whatever. Um, but right now, right now we're focusing on, on, you know, the positive stuff here, which is this amazing trip. What else are we do we need to think about that we haven't touched on here? If we're putting together this trip that we're talking about today, what else should we be uh, doing to prepare? Yeah. So most people have a question, you know, on how do we get back to Bethel? Uh, and, and oftentimes they think that we're going to come pick them up in the float plane and that is not the case. So we'll only do the drop off. Okay. And the pickups get done uh, on the Kizarolic and the Queefluck River. So for example, if you were floating to Kizarolic, you would float down to a predetermined GPS point. You're not going to float all the way down to the Kuskokwim. Uh, a motorboat's going to come and pick you up, and then he's going to do about an hour and a half to an hour and 15 minutes ride back to Bethel and then bring you back to the lodge. If you end up floating the Aralic, the Connectock, and the good news, you're going to get brought back with by wheeled charter, uh, and that's going to be through a company more than likely called Grant Aviation. Uh, and so that's how the transportation would work. And this kind of leads me into another good point that I kind of wanted to share, uh, because if you're talking about trying, let's say you want to keep your costs as low as possible. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're going to want to do either. And I know that this goes against what most people want, but you're going to want to do a three man group, or you're going to want to do a six man group with two rafts. And if you do that, you're going to really cut your costs down for two reasons. A, now you've got a whole bunch of people or, or, uh, you know, six people splitting two rafts or three people splitting one raft. Uh, and that's going to save quite a bit of money because those raft rentals can add up, you know, at $115 a day. And then the other thing is your charter back. So if you're a three man group, you're going to fit in a Cessna 207. The minute you add a fourth person, you need to take a Cesta caravan, okay? So you're looking at, uh, with a three-person and a 207, you're looking at about 800 bucks. So 800 bucks split three ways, no big deal. 
The minute you add that fourth person, you go from $800 to $2,200. Oh, wow. Because it's a carrot. Yeah. Okay. And so if you want to keep that price down, especially now, you know, this year we had to add an inflation surcharge because we didn't anticipate 8% inflation rate. <laughs> um, yeah. And so if you're talking about trying to keep those costs down, so that's what you want to do. You want a three-man group, one raft, or you want a six-man group, two raft. That's going to put you down somewhere around probably that uh, 21 to $2,200 per person mark. Yep. That is that. No, I love that you threw that out. That's a huge tip is that, you know, like we're saying, if you're in between four or five, you, you de- definitely want to go six. And you could still hit any river. You could still do the Kizarolic or whatever. Um, but six would be better than, uh, than five. Yes, sir. Perfect. No, this is awesome. Um, well, let me just circle back on on this trip. So we got, you know, we're flying in, which makes it really awesome. You know, you fly in right into Bethel, you know, hop in, uh, with you, get that going, uh, you you fly. And so when you fly in, you're probably, I mean, jumping out, are you putting in the the next day? Is that the thing? I mean, how does that look with the rafts? You guys have it all ready to go and we just like hop in with you, you fly in two hours later, you're in the river. Listen, that's why I said turnkey. So yeah, you show up to Bethel. Actually, let me back up a little bit. Pre-season, pre-season, before you come, I'm going to be in contact with you probably once every two weeks, once every three weeks. And I'm doing this because I'm I'm trying to get all the information uh, for your trip. So I want to know exactly the rental gear you need. I want to know exactly your groceries that you're going to need. Uh, I want you to ship me any dry goods. I want you to ship me any alcohol. I want all that before your trip. I want to know when you're going to come in on your flight. I'm going to want to know if you want lodging. So basically, I have every aspect of your trip on my booking sheet, and I know exactly what time you're going to be here. We're going to pick you up at the airport. We're going to bring you back to the lodge. When you get back to the lodge, we're going to do your paperwork. We're going to let you get organized. If, oh, cool. like, let's say, let's say you come in on the 10th of July because your trip's on the 11th, right? Well, let's say you come in on the 10th and you're on the midday jet and you get everything organized. I'm going to say, hey, look, Dave, you know, uh, I can get you out this afternoon. Do you want to go out this afternoon or do you want to wait till tomorrow? And what are you going to say? <laughs> that's a great question. I love this. Yeah, uh, I would say, well, it depends if you're in Bethel, there's, this is a, such a funny story because we had this story when we went to Canada, uh, long story short, we, uh, we did a DIY trip with the same group of guys, you know, and, uh, we ran out of beer towards the end and we are like, okay, do we want to stay here, uh, and, and fish without beer? Or do we want to head out? We ended up leaving that night, uh, in the middle <laughs> of the night and we ran, and we ran into a wolf and it, it ruined our car. So we were broke down for a week. Uh, but so we don't always make the best choices, but, um, for this question, I would say we're in Bethel. The answer is we're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. And guess how many people say that exact thing? Um, God, I don't know. That's another good question. I would say, uh, probably, uh, say the exact, uh, like 30%. Uh, all of them. Oh, they all want to do that. Oh yeah. If you ask a person, if they want to go out early, you're going to say yes. And of course there's, you got two motivating factors. One is hey, we get an extra day on the river because I'm not going to charge you extra for the raft rental. I'm not going to charge you extra. Oh, right. Because in all honesty, it's to my benefit to get you out the door because it's Alaska. 
the weather can change at the snap of a finger. We can wake up that next morning and it's foggy and it might be foggy all day. Oh, right. Or it might clear up in a few hours. And so it's to my benefit and it's to your benefit. If the weather's good, if you're ready to go, we're kicking your butt out that door. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So that's it. So get on. So if we're taking on this scenario, the 10th, 11th, so we're on the river and now we got, say we're doing that seven, well, let's just say we're doing, uh, you know, eight, eight days. So, and we're on the, um, we're on the good news. So, so is the good, when you compare the good news between the, uh, Rolic, one's longer, one's a little longer, but what is the difference between the two rivers? If you had to choose between those two, what would you say? You know, I would probably choose the Aralic, uh, and I'll tell you why the good news, uh, the good news is a great river. So don't, don't be swayed by me saying the Aralic. Uh, the good news is, uh, it's a wider river. It's meandering. There's very little sweepers. Um, it's just, it's like, it's like your lazy river. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's calm, it's cool. It's collective. Uh, and then you got this aerolic and the aerolic's just kind of like, I'm not going to call it technical water, but it's skinny water. Right. So yeah, it's going to be sweepers. There's not big sweepers, like huge trees and stuff, but there's going to be alder bushes and you're going to have to do more rowing because there's going to be more tight turns. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're going to on the sticks quite a bit more. Uh, but the aerolic is kind of cool because it's just this neat little gem. Uh, and not a lot of people float it because there's an extra fee. There's a native corporation mm. fee on the Aralic River. It's $100 per day per person below Snow Gulch. And so generally speaking, the way that we figure out exactly how to do the fee is let's say you have an eight-day trip. Well, four of those days are going to be below Snow Gulch. So that would mean that every person on that trip has an extra $400 fee. Well, if you have that extra $400 fee, that's going to deter a lot of people, you know? Mm. So you're yeah. going to have that remoteness a little bit more of that remoteness feeling um, because there's less people on it. And then it's very braided. So there's just kind of lots of cool little honey holes that you can walk around and find. Oh, cool. So that's it. So I, I got the picture. And, and obviously that's a shorter, so you're talking more like 45 miles versus, say, 100 if you talk about the, the other Kizarolic, which is has some extreme and the portage and stuff. But if you're looking at eight days, I guess that would be the thing. If you're going shorter days, if you're looking like seven, eight, then the Aralic would be great. If you're looking maybe 10 to 14, then maybe the, the Keys Aralic is probably the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. And the Keys Aralic's nice too, because you're going to have, there's plenty of big wood down there. So you're going to have lots of firewood once you get near the lower portion of the river, tons and tons of gravel bars, tons of braids. The camping's going to be great. Uh, you know, you can find a nice, uh, uh, camp spot where you can access braids for the next two days and you can ju- guys just have a riot. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, this is this is giving us some good uh, some good feedback. So now I'm thinking again, what if we were starting to look here about just the trip? I mean, we obviously haven't talked fishing. The fishing's pretty straightforward though, isn't it? I mean, we, we've talked a lot of fishing on here and it always comes down to the same thing. I mean, it's Alaska, so it's not like you're uh, presenting... Um, you know, like a, a dry fly, a size 18, you know, midge or something like that to these fish. It's literally, you're putting on a flesh fly or something big and juicy sort of thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, these fish are super active and so you can throw them, I mean, you know, anything shiny, anything colorful at the beginning of the season, and they're probably going to take it. Um, I actually right here, I got my, uh, my operations manager, Seth Hunter, 
and he's actually the resident yeah. guru here for fly fishing. And he's the man when it comes to these types of questions. So I'm actually going to pass the phone off here to Seth. Perfect. Let him dig into that a little bit more. Hey, how you doing, Dave? Good, good. Yeah, good to have you on here. So, well, we won't go into, since we're going to uh, be uh, short on time, we won't go into your whole background. Maybe we'll save that for another episode uh, on that. But so fishing-wise, let's take us to, the, again, we're, I'm kind of a little stuck here because now I'm in the middle. I've got this well. Do I do, you know, are we talking big uh, Kizarolic, longer or shorter Arolic? If you compare those two uh, fishing-wise, is it pretty similar on what you're getting? Say you're talking that, that third week in July. Um, as far as what fish will be around, I mean, definitely it's going to be pretty, I mean, pretty straightforward from both rivers. You're pretty much going to be targeting the same thing. Your style of fishing will definitely be a little bit different. You know, the good news is a bigger river, you know, a lot bigger tail outs to it, stuff like that. So that brings opportunity for, you know, swinging flies. And if you're into swinging and stuff like that, I would definitely, you know, recommend that's what you would want to do. Um, you know, if you're a big mouse fishing, you know, you like close quarters, you like, you know, making them tight cast up underneath trees, you know, and kind of making them, you know, X factor cast and, you know, kind of challenging yourself. I would definitely say the Aralic, um, okay. Aralic, it's a lot more of a, a woody river, you know, so it brings a lot more mousing opportunities into the pictures. Um, and which, you know, a lot of people, you know, will go through flies and all this stuff. And really, man, I mean, it's pretty simple out here. I mean, a black and white Dalai Lama or olive and white Dalai yep. Lama. I mean, tried and true, you know, I mean, don't stray, stray away, away from it. You know, I mean, I've got some like a few patterns. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with it, like a rusty trombone or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, early season, I'll go to like a sculpting pattern before all them, you know, salmon start showing up and all the eggs and flesh are in the river, right. you know. I'll kind of start targeting a sculpting pattern in which, you know, and I hear from a lot of people that come down from the lower 48, you know, they're used to, you know, fishing, you know, targeting fish that are quite spooky. You know, they have a lot of pressure to them. So you hear people using three X and four X and stuff like that. And right. These fish, I mean, especially, you know, that early part of, you know, July, mid July and stuff. I mean, they haven't seen no pressure in, you know, eight, nine months, you know? So I tell people, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, there's no reason to be breaking fish off on that 3X and stuff like that. They're not line shy. You can put some 12-pound Maxima to your fly, and, I mean, it's going to all be the same to them, you know? So yeah. that's why I tell a lot of people, I'm like, don't overthink it. Whenever you come out here, really kind of go back to your roots, you know? Uh, go back. Yeah. Don't think things. Togan's Fly Shop has always provided superior products, uh, great service at an affordable price. They focused on fly tying materials, tools, and everything you need there, as, as well as all the companies that support them and you. Togans has recently added added a big line to their uh, to their shop. So not only now are they providing everything you need from the fly tying end, they provide rods, reels, and lines, and some other great products. So you got to check them out right now. I had Justin on recently in a trivia episode. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash trivia if you want to listen to that episode and win some Togan swag uh, right now. But uh, but Justin gave a little bit of a snippet on, on what Togan's all about. They're a family-run business. They got the mom and mom and the pops and, uh, and Justin and, and the good crew of people and the ambassadors that are, that are helping Togan's. I want you to support Togan's right now. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togan's. And check out their new line. Check out these rods. They got some stuff coming over, some of the best rods out of Europe. 
especially uh, if you're focused on the Euro game. They've got a couple things we talked about there you can you can check out right now. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price and customer service, and now I want you to check out that Togans buzz for yourself. Head over there right now, wetflyswing.com slash Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S, Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S. You support this podcast by clicking over through that link to Togans. So, and if you look at the uh, the Kizarok versus the Aralik, um is that going to be a similar deal? What is the keys are all going to have a lot of the similar tighter mousing and stuff like that as well? Yeah. Yep. And once you get down there towards that lower end of the river, uh, after you get below the falls, I should say, you know, you'll start kind of coming into that same style of water, same style of fishing down there. And, um, you know, every river is, you know, just a little bit different, you know, I mean, you all kind of got your sections, your upper end of the river usually, you know, are usually bigger and wider and expansive. And then once you kind of start hitting the middle to lower end of the sec- sections of the river is really where it starts braiding out, you know, and I'd say that would kind of be common ground between most of the rivers is once you kind of get down to that you know even connect talk no matter what you do. I mean, once you get down to that middle section of the river, it's really where the river will start to kind of plane out and start cutting different courses through the uh, timber and stuff like that. And so I'd say like in, in that aspect, a lot of the rivers, I guess you could compare them are similar, but then, you know, going back to the Keys it's just a lot more of a gorgy feeling river, you know, and which you know, that's about the river that we got that kind of have that feel, you know, kind of like almost like you're out West somewhere, you know, you're right. out, you know, Yellowstone or something like that. You got big rock walls on either side of you and stuff like that. That's kind of how more that style of fishing is, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like the the Rollick, it sounds like that might be a well, they're it's all amazing, obviously. So when you stick it with the fishing, you know, the the Dalai Lama, whatever is pretty standard. What about um talk just quickly lines? Is this all pretty much bring a dry line? Let, let's just take it to the Aralic. Say you're gonna fish the Aralic, it's gonna be that that July period. Is it just bring a dry line in a like a seven weight? Is that sort of thing the deal? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, you know, back home, I'm used to fishing sinking lines and stuff like that. And really, I wouldn't say it's a bad option to keep a sinking line with you or maybe just have it on a rod. So when you get to some of them real big turn holes, you know, it that, you know, just seem like they're endless. They just go down forever and ever, you know, I mean, that would be an option for uh, a sinking line. But for the most part, I mean, a heavy weighted fly and a floating line is really going to be your overall go to. Um, my personal favorite, I like an eight weight, you know, just in case you were to, you know, hook into one of them big salmon or something like that. You know, you're not, yeah. you know, spending an hour with that fish, you know. Right. How does that look? How does that look with the salmon when you're, so we're talking trout here, but literally July, you, you have a good opportunity. Are we actually, you know, would you have an opportunity to, to really target Chinook, some big fish? Uh, I mean, I, it just depends on the year, you know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here guarantee you you know it because every year varies you know but yeah you definitely have a a good uh, chance of it and with that being said you know i mean (laughs) i don't know i it's funny because i was out at the white river a while you know a long time ago and i don't know if you're familiar with a a place out there on the white valleys but i was you mean in in alaska or georgia no i was in arkansas Arkansas, on the white river oh yeah i'm sorry i'm not georgia i meant arkansas yeah yeah we've had um We've done some episodes with some folks, uh, uh, yeah, from that area. So for sure. 
But um, I was out there one time and I was uh, in Dally's and I mean, shout out to Dally's. They really hooked me up. But I was out there mm-hmm. the very first day, snapped my seven weight. And I remember going into Dally's and he said, well, man, to be honest with you, we really don't even have any seven weights. And he was like, in my opinion, I don't even know why they make a seven weight. And he's like, but I'll <laughs> exchange, he's like, I'll exchange this rod for an eight weight. And it was uh, a Reddington Predator. And he did. He took it right off the shelf and took my broken rod and gave me that eight weight. And to be honest with you, I haven't owned a seven weight since. <laughs> I just kind of went. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure everybody has their little. Yeah. It, but it seems like to me, you know, it's like six weight, eight weight. 10 weight. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's probably better than a five. What is the difference? Five, uh, seven or nine. Those seem to be, it seems like the odd maybe are the, although the nine foot five way is obviously your standard, right? Your standard trout yeah. rod. And with that being said, you know, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. You know, I, I suggest people, you know, if you're mousing and you know, you're coming out here with like a mousing stick in mind or something like that, a six weight is just, I mean, overall fun because I mean, you will sort, you know, quite a bit you know, of 16 to 20 inch fish, you know, and when you're sorting them, it kind of takes the fun away when you got a big old eight weight or something like that in your hand, you know, but when you do hook up with that good 25, 26 inch rainbow, I mean, that six weight, you're still going to provide what you need as far as, you know, landing that fish. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're in an area where you got a bunch of salmon around, you know, I say, you know, don't take that chance of, you know, losing the fly line and losing your back end and all of it, you know, just, you know, just, yep. So anyway, and then species wise, other than trout, um, and then, so potentially if you were doing the aurolic in that July period or the, the keys aurolic, what, what are you looking at? What species potentially could you be hitting? And, and are you targeting any certain species or are you just casting like, oh, I'm swinging here and I, who knows what I'll catch? Well, see, yeah, that's the thing. Um, a keys aurolic, um, you know, like Justin touched on earlier, you know, the keys aurolic targeting Kings is, uh, you know, prohibited right now. So, you know. We tell people like, hey, you know, try not to catch, you know, the kings and stuff like that. Oh, you mean you can't catch you actually like right now throughout the whole year, you can't target kings at all? No, sir. On the keys aurolic, you cannot. No, sir. So any- what about the aurolic? The aurolic? Yes, sir. You can. Oh, okay. So the aurolic. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. the aurolic, uh, the aurolic is actually flowing into, uh, into the bay and everything there. So them rivers that are flowing into the bay, you're allowed to target them. So like uh, the connect talk, good news, stuff like that, they will allow you to still target them. And that's just because they're um, essentially what not, not spawning in these lower basins. Well, yeah, it's just the numbers. The numbers are what you know. The, what's what fishing gamers like to see, you know. So that's really how all the closures go. You know, they we've got you know a weirs down at the bottom of the rivers, and they kind of take a rough estimate of cow, of fish that are running and stuff like that. So you know, I mean, in the last couple of years, you know the connect talk and i mean the kizarolic uh and the quisla kings have been down so they've just completely shut down the king fishing on them so you're not allowed to target them fish but you know is with that being said the numbers still look good on the aurolic and the connect talk and stuff like that so they have not shut down the king fishing on those rivers gotcha okay Good. Yeah. I think that I think for the take home message here is that obviously this is salmon and, and there's diversity and changes in run timing. So, uh, you know, the probably the best thing would be if you're setting up a trip is to call, talk to you guys and do the same conversation like we're having here and decide what you want to do. But it sounds like the Aurolic could have all sorts of species. You don't know exactly depending on the run. The Chinook, it sounds like maybe um, might be hard to target. Um, maybe the good news is one of those rivers where you can target them more. I'm not sure if that's the case, but would you guys say it sounds like the August trip may be the better time to say you, you got a better chance to not have to worry about um, 
run conditions. Is that true? Uh, yeah. And you got Justin back here now, Dave, and that answer. Oh, okay. That, that is correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. So if we came up there, I mean, you're always going to get into fish. I mean, it is Alaska, but you might not necessarily be able to say, hey, you know, in the third week in July, 100%, you know, you're going to have this species there. But but that's something as we get closer, you know, anybody can talk to you guys about that. Yeah. It always cracks me up when people say, I want to go on the river that fishes the best because all these rivers, right. all these rivers are amazing, man. I'm not going to lie. They're all great fishing and they all have a little something different to offer. Yeah, no. And I'm, and I think anybody that goes knows it's fishing bottom line, end of the day. And, and that's, uh, that's what it is. But, um, so give me a rough, um, just to kind of wrap this up out of here. We mentioned costs a little bit, but what is a trip? If we're talking, let's just, again, go back to the Aralic. Um, well, we got the Aralic and we got the Keys Aralic, which would be the longer, but let's just say we're going for, um, you know, like a 10 day trip cost wise, what just rough, what, what are we looking at there? Yeah. So, and you're just, let's just throw this in here just so I give you an accurate price. Are you talking about uh, rental equipment included, all that jazz, like overall price? Yeah, that's another good question. So what if we had, what if somebody had a lot of the gear, you know, obviously rafts and all that stuff, but I mean, it seems like almost that's a lot of work just to send all that stuff up there. Does anybody send their, bring their stuff up like that up there? <laughs> uh, yes. So mainly only people from Anchorage. And the reason why is because it's a quick, easy shot with uh, air cargo. Uh, generally yep. speaking, you know, people will bring with them might be their tent. Um, and then of course their personal gear, but we got everything up here. And the, the deal is with our rental equipment too, is it's all new. So we, anything that gets worn out or broken, we replace, um, cause you know, you're only as good as, is your word, I guess. And if people come here and we got, uh, shoddy equipment, you know, that word's going to get around. So we just make sure that, uh, you know, all the equipment's up to date. It's good to go. Uh, and as far as Costco, so let's just say, uh, if you're going to come up here, you got your own equipment, you live in Anchorage, you shipped all your stuff up, uh, like for the Keys Rollick river for the 2023 pricing, your average price is going to come out to about $1,800 per person. Uh, and that's if you have all your own equipment. Now, generally speaking, you don't have everything, especially fuel. You're going to have to buy fuel through us. Uh, because it's hazmat. You can't ship it on the airlines. They won't let you. So you come out here, we got jet boil fuel. We got propane tanks, the one pound bottles. And then we also got uh, medium propane tanks and then large, like uh, what you'd see on a, a grill. Uh, so we send you out with that stuff and you guys are, are good to go. Now, let's say you, you come and in your situation, let's say you're from lower 48, you don't want to ship all your stuff up. It'd be way too expensive. You never know if it's going to show yep. up on time. Uh, so, you know, on the Keys Rock, you're looking at probably, let's say, your your situation, four to five man group, two rafts. You know, you're looking at probably at about twenty five hundred per person once it's all said and done. Uh, that, that's here. going to, yeah, that's going to be a good average number for the trip costs plus the rental equipment. Oh, so that's that's the total cost. That wouldn't be another twenty five hundred. That's just twenty five no, no, total. No. That'd be so another seven hundred. Exactly twenty five hundred per person total, and that is including your rental equipment. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's it. So basically everything is twenty five, and that's definitely a super reasonable. And then then you add on the um, yeah, then the other stuff. You obviously you got to get a flight up to Bethel, which I'm sure is probably a little more than flying to Anchorage. So that might whatever that's going to cost you, add that on. So um, and. Uh, 
No, this is good. I mean, this is this is kind of like actually when you think about it compared to the comparable lodge, right? Which is going to probably cost you three times that much um, to do that sort of trip or to pay to have somebody do the trip. That's really cool. Uh, what else before we get out of here? Anything else? I know we've kind of uh, been all over the place here, but uh, any other you know information or shout out you want to give us before we start to head out here? Yeah, I guess the only thing I'd leave with is that, uh, you know, when you come to Papa Bear, this is our passion. Our passion is uh, showing people a good time and taking them out on these rivers for experiences of, you know, sometimes it's an experience of a lifetime and other years, uh, other times with other groups, it's a yearly experience. But regardless of who you are uh, and where you come from, this is our passion. This is what we do. We love to help people out and we love to show them what Alaska has to offer. Uh, and so I guess that's kind of what I'd like to, to leave you guys with today. That's perfect. Are there, is there anybody, I mean, you guys are doing this thing, dialing it in, um, you know, in that area, do you guys have that part of, uh, Bethel? I mean, is it, are there other organizations doing the same sort of thing? Uh, I'm sure there are, but maybe at not the same level. What's that look like? Yeah. So uh, personally, I, I think that we're the largest fishing operation out here. Uh, we do have, uh, one other competition. Uh, and so, uh, we can, I'm not going to say control, but let's say we do a majority of the drop-offs. Um, and so that gives us, I, I guess, the ability to make sure that people don't get dropped on each other and other groups. We coordinate a little bit, uh, with the other outfitter as, as much as we can to try not to do double drops. So that way both, yeah, Outfitters have a good experience, so we do have some communication there. Um, but uh, all, all I can say is that uh, we're gonna give you the best experience possible if you go with Papa Bear. Yeah, no, it's I think no question uh, that this is very cool. Give me, uh, you know, on we have this little segment called kind of the conservation uh, minute, um, and I saw something about science on the fly. I'm not sure if you want to give a shout out to one. You know, conservation group that somebody can maybe dig into and learn more about, maybe, you know, get connected. Who would you, who would you say? No, I'm glad that you brought that up. So, uh, science on the fly, obviously a nonprofit organization, uh, headed by a gentleman by the name of Max Holmes. Uh, and basically what they're doing, they're not only doing this in Alaska, they're doing this in the lower 48 as well, but they float rivers. So that's their, that's the added perk, right? You get to float rivers and fish (laughs) and camp. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good gig to me, (laughs) Uh, but basically they're taking samples of these rivers and they're doing historic sampling. And not only are they doing the sampling, but our clients, Papa Bear clients are doing the sampling as well. So we have kits that they they distribute to us. uh, And in the past, we distribute to clients. Uh, This year, believe it or not, they're actually going to have a science on the fly representative going to be staying with us for a better portion of the summer. And they're going to have an opportunity with each client to meet with them and to discuss what Science on the Fly does. I'll put a note in the show notes to that so people can dig in more. And I kind of get the gist. They're doing some good stuff, um, obviously, out there. Uh, Well, I think think I'll leave it there for now, Justin. And uh, definitely we'll put some links to the show notes, uh, for, you know, to connect with you. If people have questions, um, just give us a heads up in the next kind of, uh, from here, like right now it's, it's kind of April. Are you guys just, what do you have going this year? Is it just kind of like, (laughs) I guess you're going to be busy, right? For the next nine months. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I brought Seth up here the beginning of April. We've been doing preseason stuff. 
uh, just getting stuff lined up and ready to go. It's all about being organized and having all of your supplies that you need for the summer. So that's what we're doing right now. Uh, so that way, when you know uh, groups start coming up, everything's as seamless as possible. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll send everybody out to uh, pbadventures.com if they have questions. And uh, just wanted to, to thank you for shedding some light and, and walking us through this little this little case study. So uh, so they will be connected with you. We'll definitely, uh, I'm sure some people are going to give you some calls here if they're interested in this DIY sort of trip. But it sounds like an amazing thing you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, just thanks for all your time today. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And it was a pleasure talking with you, man. Awesome. All right. And thanks, Seth, for coming on and giving us that. We'll hopefully uh, connect with you as well down the line. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it, sir. There it is. Alaska time. If you want to check it out, connect with PB Adventures or any of the show notes, any of the links, and hopefully we have some cool videos of Alaska. Wetflyswing.com slash 337. 337 will get you there and it get you there right now. Listener spotlight shout out. Pat Barry connected uh, with me on Instagram, and uh, he noted the uh, Tim Flagler episode and the Bob Romano episodes with a focus on fly tying. Pat's uh, out of the main area, and uh, he's over on Instagram at northeast underscore x underscore northwest underscore fly. That's a mouthful. But if you want to check out Pat, check him out right now and uh, connect with him. Let him know you heard about him on this podcast. And I just want to say thanks, Pat, for supporting this podcast. You keep the lights on here with all the support over the years. I appreciate you for all the listens and everything there. Um, if you want to head over to uh, connect with us, Instagram is a good place. Wet Fly Swing. You can send me a DM, probably the easiest way, and just let me know what show resonated with you or where you first heard us. That'd be great. And I'd love to hear where you're coming from. It's always a, a killer opportunity for me to uh, connect with a few more people uh, kind of in person virtually and especially uh, if you're out there and you're in the southeast part of the country would love to hear if you're out there right now are you down in some of those amazing areas of the southeast if so please uh, send me a dm or email dave at wetflyswing.com the top fly challenge is still going on right now wetflyswing.com slash top fly so you can choose your favorite top fly your number one fly what is it there's a place there to enter that top fly and a chance to win some swag as always we got giveaways going on all the time check it out right now and am i going to leave a fun fact for the day one fun stat i'm going to leave one right now what is the largest fish landed on a fly largest fish the catch and release of a 385 pound lemon shark on the fly has officially been approved uh, this is some old, uh, this is something I picked up online. So I, I'm guessing maybe there's a newer one than this. So if you have the knowledge there, I would love to hear from you. 385 pounds. Is there something bigger that you know? My guess is that uh, there is. But if you know Dave at wetflyswing.com, send me an email. Or again, check with me on Instagram. Let me know if you know of what the actual world record is. Thank you for supporting this podcast and listening all the way to the very end. I appreciate you. I appreciate your support and I appreciate you and I hope to see you on the water. We got some big trip giveaways going this year. We got some big trips as well that I'm going to be going out to. I hope you're able to connect with one of those trips. Wetflyswing.com slash trips. If you want to find out where, where, where we are heading next, where I'm heading and where you can head with me to connect with me on the water. We're making this reality. Talk to you soon. Hope to see you very soon.
Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.